Our New Testament scripture this morning is from Luke chapter 1. It starts with the fifth verse, and it goes like this. During the rule of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was a descendant of Aaron. They were both righteous before God, blameless in their observance of all the Lord's commandments and regulations. They had no children because Elizabeth was unable to become pregnant, and they both were very old. One day, Zechariah was serving as a priest before God because his priestly division was on duty. And following the customs of priestly service, he was chosen by lottery to go into the Lord's sanctuary and burn incense. All the people who gathered to worship were praying outside during this hour of incense offering. An angel from the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw the angel, he was startled and overcome with fear. The angel said, Don't be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayers have been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will give birth to your son, and you must name him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many people will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the Lord's eyes. He must not drink wine and liquor. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth. He will bring many Israelites back to the Lord their God. He will go forth before the Lord equipped with the spirit of power of Elijah. He will turn the hearts of fathers back to their children, and he will turn the disobedient to righteous patterns of thinking. He will make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah said to the angel, how can I be sure of this? My wife and I are very old. The angel replied, I am Gabriel. I stand in God's presence. I was sent to speak to you and to bring this good news to you. Know this, what I have spoken will come true at the proper time. But because you didn't believe, you will remain silent, unable to speak until the day when these things happen. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they wondered why he was in the sanctuary for such a long time. And when he came out, he was unable to speak. When he completed the days of his priestly service, he returned home. Afterward, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant. She kept it to herself for five months, saying, This is the Lord's doing. He's shown favor to me by removing my disgrace among other people. Months later, John was born. And Zechariah sings this song.
The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So I was looking through my files the other day. It's something I do at the end of every year to sort of get my house in order, to see what I really did in the last year. And, you know, I filed the old worship series away. I sort of categorized them for future use or um, to call back to in a future year when I need a reminder of what I said before. And I was sorting through my sermons and putting them into piles by theme. And I noticed one stack had grown much larger than the others. It was quite a lot larger than the others, actually. And I thought, why did I preach so much on hope? 34 sermons on hope in a little over two years. That's a lot of sermons on hope. And yet I wasn't feeling particularly hopeful. All these words and all these scriptures on hope, and hope was not what I was feeling. Tired, maybe. Weary, certainly. Just a little bit drained. It hasn't been two years with a lot of reasons to invest emotional energy in hope, or in the idea of joy. Or I'm not even sure what I was supposed to be experiencing. It just didn't seem like those 34 sermons on hope had changed my experience of the world all that much. It's been a hard two years. I was talking with some folks this week, and we looked around, and we thought we couldn't believe it had been two years. It felt like one long, endless year. And we look around, and we see faces that weren't here two years ago, that were here two years ago. For one reason or another, they're not here anymore. And we're tired of having to think about safe distancings and masks and COVID variations. And it's tempting just to say, forget it and take our chances, right? It's easier, certainly. I'm tired of arguing. I'm tired of being divided because we as a people in a society can't see the other side, though I don't like the idea of sides anyway. That we can't see other people as human and well-intentioned generally. And our identities have gotten so wrapped up into how we respond to one crisis or another, it seems impossible to look through the haze and see the people who used to sit at the table with us. Relationships have strained over the last two years, and we can't see a route back to fixing them sometimes. We're not necessarily sure we have the emotional energy to do it. And we know in the back of our minds that things are never returning to normal, whatever that was. But it'd be good if we could get to a little bit more normal, right? And so maybe we aren't feeling particularly hopeful this morning. Maybe we're actively rebelling against the possibility of hope. Maybe we're just tired. Next week at 6.30, we're having a service for healing and wholeness to acknowledge our grief and our loss and our sadness, our at-lostness. And I, for one, feel like I need that service this year more than I have ever had. Maybe we don't feel hopeful. Maybe we just can't talk about it. Why should we believe in those words of hope? Zechariah and Elizabeth had no reason to hope. Their future looked similar to their past, which is to say not exciting or thrilling or joyful. They had given up on a miracle. At first, Zechariah and Elizabeth's story is really familiar to us. We've heard it in the Bible many, many times, right? Since almost the beginning of the Bible, Abraham and Sarah receive a visit from the angels. They are old, 
And they're old, even by their age's standards, and they're well beyond the days when children were expected from them. And so they dedicated their lives to their job. And neither Zechariah and Elizabeth or Abraham and Sarah received the angels with anything approaching belief in the truth of their words. Sarah laughs right in the angel's face, and we can't really blame her for that. Zechariah says, why should I believe you? Notice that for Zechariah and Elizabeth, the childness is not a punishment. It's not a punishment for sin. No one's to blame here. These people are righteous. They're doing the right thing. It was understood just as a reality. Noted she couldn't have children. Sarah's barrenness is also understood in the same way. And I wonder when Israel started blaming the women. When Gabriel comes to tell Zechariah and Elizabeth about their upcoming unexpected miracle, Zechariah's answer is, why should I believe you? What reason do I have to believe you? Now, Zechariah is a priest who encounters God every day. And Elizabeth is the daughter of a priest. These are righteous, blameless, God-fearing people, and yet they are so jaded, so lost in their hopelessness that they don't recognize an angel when they see it. And Gabriel is not just any angel, it's Gabriel, right? This is a major angel. This is like meeting, I don't know, Matthew McConaughey, right? For some of us, that's a dream. <laughs> Holding out hope. <laughs> They don't recognize Gabriel, they can't see him. They're too lost in whatever it is they have. And Zechariah says to Gabriel, why should I believe you? Gabriel responds in the way every parent wishes they could when faced with a snotty child. He strikes Zechariah dumb. It's a, another power I wish I had at times, right? Child, it is best for you right now not to talk. It's a long, celestial, God-given timeout. And a moment passes before Zechariah thinks, oops, forgot you were an angel there for a second. Eventually, John is born, and Zechariah speaks. And this time, it's in song, a song of joy and gratefulness, a song of awareness that this gift of a child is not destined to a life of joy and peace. It reminds us of Hannah's story, where she gives her son over to God. It's joy, but only for a moment. John is a prophet. Prophets don't have a lucrative retirement package. They don't take trips with friends to the beach in the summer. John is destined not too far from now to be killed for being a prophet. And Zechariah, the priest, knows this. So his hope is tinged with sadness. John is destined to be a prophet. And so while Zechariah may experience a twinge of personal loss, he holds on to hope. Because he knows that John is going to bring hope to all the people. It may not be joy, but it's hope. And so Zechariah's question echoes through the ages. Why should I believe you? What reason have you given me to believe you? We ask this question as a refrain as hope fades.
Why should I believe you? It can be comforting to hold on to cynicism and doubt, to be hard-hearted because we can then not be hurt by the lack of hope. We turn towards darkness of night as a buffer between the pain of hope that might be extinguished. It can be more painful to lose hope than to never have had it in the first place. So we question God and doubt God. Because God's hope doesn't look like our hope. Why should I believe you? We believe because God speaks hope into being. It's God's hope, God's future, God's time. And we believe because God does not abandon or forsake us. Sometimes we look God's angels in the face and we don't see them. We meet Gabriel in the pews and we don't believe him or hear his words of promise. But God does not extinguish hope for his people just because we can't see it. We believe in hope because we can look through time and see how God's hope has unfolded. It may not look like what we thought it would, God's hope. God's hope may come in unexpected ways and in unexpected places. We believe in hope because hope exists without our help. And so at times, maybe we need to be struck with an inability to speak, to shut our mouths and our minds and our plans and listen for God's voice. Maybe we don't see hope because we're too busy being in the way. And we can't see the light. Why should I believe you, we ask God. And God responds, I came to you in the form of a child to bring hope. Look around. See it at work in the faces of the people you love. God responds, I am holding hope for you until you are ready to see it. God's hope shines and we are ready to see it. When we're ready to see it, it's right there shining through the window and waiting for us to bask in the glow of it. It's here. It's right here. God's hope, it's in the midst of us. And we can see it and we can feel it and we can trust in it when we're ready. God, we believe. Help us in our unbelief. Amen. <laughs>